witch's ride of a mile or more from its actual position, though with that difference its features are described as they still show themselves to the sun and moonlight. The game of prisoner's base, which not so long ago seemed to enjoy a perennial vitality in front of the worn-out stocks, may, so far as I can say, be entirely unknown to the rising generation of schoolboys there. The practice of divination by Bible and key the regarding of valentines as things of serious import, the shearing supper, the long smock frocks, and the harvest home have, too, nearly disappeared in the wake of the old houses, and with them has gone, it is said, much of that love of fuddling to which the village at one time was notoriously prone. The change at the root of this has been the recent supplanting of the class of stationary cottagers who carried on the local traditions and humours by a population of more or less migratory labourers, which has led to a break of continuity in local history more fatal than any other thing to the preservation of legend, folklore, close intersocial relations, and eccentric individualities. For these, the indispensable conditions of existence are attachment to the soil of one particular spot by generation after generation. 1895-1902 to 1902. Thomas Hardy. Chapter 1. Description of Farmer Oak. An Incident. When Farmer Oak smiled, the corners of his mouth spread till they were within an unimportant distance of his ears, his eyes were reduced to chinks, and diverging wrinkles appeared round them, extending upon his countenance like the rays in a rudimentary sketch of the rising sun. His Christian name was Gabriel, and on working days he was a young man of sound judgment, easy motions, proper dress, and general good character. On Sundays he was a man of misty views, rather given to postponing, and hampered by his best clothes and umbrella. Upon the whole, one who felt himself to occupy morally that vast middle space of Laodicean neutrality which lay between the communion people of the parish and the drunken section. That is, he went to church, but yawned privately by the time the congregation reached the Nicene Creed, and thought of what there would be for dinner when he was meant to be listening to the sermon. Or, to state his character as it stood in the scale of public opinion— when his friends and critics were in tantrums, he was considered rather a bad man. When they were pleased, he was rather a good man. When they were neither, he was a man whose moral colour was a kind of pepper-and-salt mixture. Since he lived six times as many working days as Sundays, Oak's appearance in his old clothes was most peculiarly his own, the mental picture formed by his neighbours in imagining him being always dressed in that way. He wore a low-crowned felt hat, spread out at the base by tight jamming upon the head for security in high winds, and a coat like Dr. Johnson's. His lower extremities, being encased in ordinary leather leggings and boots, emphatically large, affording to each foot a roomy compartment so constructed that any wearer might stand in a river all day long and know nothing of damp— their maker being a conscientious man who endeavoured to compensate for any weakness in his cut by unstinted dimension and solidity. Mr. Oak carried about him, by way of a watch, what may be called a small silver clock. 
In other words, it was a watch as to shape and intention, and a small clock as to size. This instrument, being several years older than Oak's grandfather, had the peculiarity of going either too fast or not at all. The smaller of its hands, too, occasionally slipped round on the pivot, and thus, though the minutes were told with precision, nobody could be quite certain of the hour they belonged to. The stopping peculiarity of his watch, Oak remedied by thumps and shakes, and he escaped any evil consequences from the other two defects by constant comparisons with and observations of the sun and stars, and by pressing his face close to the glass of his neighbour's windows till he could discern the hour marked by the green-faced timekeepers within. It may be mentioned that Oak's fob being difficult of access, by reason of its somewhat high situation in the waistband of his trousers, which also lay at a remote height under his waistcoat, the watch.